draw us in. And I especially love stories that seem to have a little bit of tension in them. And one of my favorite uh, scenes uh, in a story comes from the classic Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. So Jean Valjean is a man who had once been in prison, but he finds himself out, but he's poor and he's got nothing to do. So he takes to stealing. And one night, he finds, up, he finds himself in the house of the bishop who's taken him in uh, because he has nowhere else to go for the night. And so before he leaves, though, early the next morning, he decides to steal the bishop's silver. Now, the bishop notices, the servants notice, but the bishop kind of backs off and just lets Jean do his thing. Now, a couple of hours later, Jean has left and he finds himself uh, being uh, arrested uh, because they find this sack full of silver, and his story is that the priest has given him this silver. And they're very suspicious about this story. Wouldn't you be too? And so they take him to the bishop's house. They knock on the door. The bishop opens the door. And can you imagine Jean's feelings at that moment? He's been caught. They lead him into the den. The bishop sits down, and then he rises up after he's heard about uh, what Jean has done in this accusation uh, this story that Jean has been given the silver. You can feel the tension in the room. The bishop rises from his chair. He walks over to the mantle. And he takes two silver candlesticks. And he says, Jean, did I not give you these candlesticks too? Mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I would have done that, Right? What would you have done in that situation? Mercy, undeserved, unmerited, but yet in the moment the bishop chooses to have mercy on Jean. Today we're going to be talking about this mercy that we are to give as well. Good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at Givewell Church South Haven. Glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. Uh, whether you're here on, uh, on campus or you're joining us online, uh, but however and wherever, glad to uh, join together on this July the 3rd, uh, one day before July 4th. And isn't that great? Thank you, God, for this country uh, and for the freedom that we have. Uh, grateful if you're our guest today. Uh, glad to have you here as well. I hope today is, is a great day for you. Uh, today we're continuing in our sermon series called The Good Life. We've been walking through uh, Jesus' Beatitudes. It's eight statements found at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5. And each week we've been going through and looking at each of these statements individually to see what it means for us as people who claim to be followers of Jesus who've given our lives to him, who want to be citizens of his kingdom, what it looks like for us to live uh, this life. And it's not just to just live any life, but it's to live the good life, a happy and truly happy and good life. It's a life found in Jesus Christ alone. Now, this series is inspired uh, by the book by Dr. Derwin Gray uh, called The Good Life. Would love for you to pick up a copy uh, each week. He, each chapter, he walks through one of these Beatitudes as well and goes a little bit deeper, uh, has a, sometimes a good perspective for us to check out. So I would encourage you to uh, grab a copy of that book on Amazon or your favorite bookstore or wherever. Uh, but would love for you to dive in each week uh, to go deeper uh, with a copy of that as well. Now, the Beatitude today that we're looking at, because we've, I've kind of introduced it with mercy, uh, but that we're looking at today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And this is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, before uh, we dive headfirst into this beatitude, I want us to take a minute uh, to back it up just a little bit and look at the first four beatitudes that we've covered already uh, the past four weeks. So, Jesus said this at the beginning of uh, the beatitudes in verse three. He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, what each of these four statements has in common is that it deals with the inward part of us as God's people. It deals with the heart. See, it's when we realize our our utter need, our, our depravity of our own spirit, that we become beggars, that we come to God, that we mourn the brokenness that is inside of us, that we humble ourselves before him, and that we realize our hunger and thirst and need for his righteousness and not our own. That is what is more important for Jesus, is that we begin something beautiful. He begins to, to stir the pot of something beautiful. These ingredients all come together to make something wonderful, which is a truly happy Life. You see, God gave the Old Testament, the law, for the people of God to follow. The only problem was, and God knew it from the very beginning, so it wasn't any surprise to him, but he knew that the people would never be able to fully live into this good life that God had created. Why? It was their heart. See, all of these wonderful things on the outside, they, they could go through all the rituals, they could go through all the traditions, they could, could look as good as they possibly could be on the outside, but what really matters is the heart. Is that all of this outside uh, legalistic, religious kind of stuff that people were doing had no bearing on what truly means the most to God, which was their heart. If their heart wasn't transformed, They never could fully live into this happy life that God had promised. It's almost as if, and it is, (laughs) uh, that Jesus wants us to find our being in him before we do. See, what's important is that we, we be before we do. We're being before doing. If we don't get this, then we're no different than uh, the Pharisees. We're no different than the legalistic religious folks that we see every day. Like if we don't understand this, that as we abide in Jesus, as we allow him to work on our heart first, that then from that comes the overflow of what we do. Being before doing. We find this in God alone, Jesus alone. See, this is why Jesus, I think, so carefully crafted these these Beatitudes. This is why Matthew takes painstakingly time to write them down in the order in which God, Jesus, spoke them. Jesus isn't just rambling off a whole bunch of random phrases and words that all come together like sometimes we take Scripture. No, what he's doing is he's taking us on a progression of what it looks like for us to live that good life. Now, I want you to make sure you notice this. We cannot live out the fifth beatitude of being merciful if we haven't yet experienced the first four. We will never get to that part of being able to truly be merciful if we haven't already experienced those first four beatitudes. 
It's an inward transformation that leads to an outward working. Meaning that you have to be a beggar. You have to mourn. You have to lament. You have to be humble. You have to hunger and thirst in order to be merciful and practice the Beatitudes that are to come in the coming weeks. Jesus, what he's first and foremost worried about, concerned about, cares the most about, is our attitude, our heart, before our actions. So, on to today's Beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. Friends, what a test that is. If we put our lives up against that, as Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. And I think that sometimes we, we get mercy and we think that we're merciful in some ways. But as I kept thinking about this message this week, I started wondering, like, are we truly merciful people? Do we really get it? And I think at times we think we are, but do we really? And so this word merciful, uh, it comes from the Greek word eliamen. Uh, and so this word, what does it mean? And it conveys a compassion that moves to action. It's one that's full of pity on another person. See, here's the thing. It's not just a feeling of pity. I think sometimes we feel compassion for somebody. Uh, I think it comes easier for some people than others. Uh, and sometimes we feel pity on another person. Oh, I feel really bad for you. But really what this means is that we are moved to action to do something to relieve the situation. It's a compassion that moves to action. And if you've been following this series from the beginning, uh, one of the things that we talked about the very first week was this fact that these statements that Jesus is walking through are very countercultural. In the first century, it would have been just crazy to think about. And y'all, I think as we walk through them today, we're like, is this dude insane, right? Who is this kind of merciful? Who, who understands all of this? What Jesus is telling us is happy are you when you show this active compassion, this, this fullness of pity on another person to help relieve their situation. Now there's a link between grace and mercy. And I think a lot of times in church, we kind of use them interchangeably uh, and, and they're similar. They're very related. Uh, but slightly different. I came across this this week uh, as I was reading, and I, I thought it was a great quote. Grace is especially associated with people in their sin. Mercy is especially, especially associated with people in their misery. In their misery. Meaning, grace is forgiveness in regard to sin as a whole, whereas mercy looks upon that person with a sense of pity, plus a desire to do something about the situation that sin has caused, that suffering that sin has caused. See, it's grace toward the sin and mercy towards the sinner. Grace toward the sin, mercy toward the sinner. And I'm sure that you can think back on your life uh, you can think about a situation where maybe someone had wronged you and they come to you and they ask for forgiveness. And y'all, it is such a natural human tendency for us to go, man, I got you now. This is right where I wanted you. Let me flex my muscles a little bit. I got a little bit of power here, right? See if I ever forgive you for what you've done to me. Holding this position of power, holding this, this sense of vindication over another person is not what mercy is. 
It's just not. Jesus' countercultural, supernatural, not human response over our lives is that we would have mercy. Mercy. And Jesus gives us a great illustration of this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Now, just before where we're going to be in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus in this chapter, he lays out uh, for the disciples what it looks like for those who claim to be part of the kingdom of God, what it looks like for us to deal with sin within the church. And he says this, he says, go to your brother and talk to him. Take up the issue with him. And if he listens, that's great. Praise God. But if he doesn't, then go and take one or two others with you to point out his sin to him. If then he still doesn't respond, then take in the whole church. But friends, that is the way that we deal with sin. That's the way that we deal with when we have been wronged in the church. It's a biblical mandate. Jesus has laid it out for us. And then what I love and where we're about to pick up is that Peter, being a human, just like you and me, he wants to know exactly what limit is there on that God, on Jesus. What's the limit here? And so look with me. Uh, Matthew uh, 18, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe to me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oftentimes whenever I read scripture, I go, who am I? Friends, we're the servant, oftentimes, who's been forgiven an enormous debt. And yet we go out and our fellow servant, we demand them to pay. We show no mercy. What did Jesus say the king said in verse 33? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. I don't want you to miss this. We've received a great mercy. 
And because of that, we should show great mercy to others. Another way to say it is this, is having received great mercy, we give great mercy. Having received great mercy, we give great mercy. Why do we struggle, though, giving great mercy? Why is it? Well, Dr. Gray observes this in The Good Life. He says this. He said, At the heart of our lack of mercy is the inability to receive mercy. We are not merciful because we have not experienced divine mercy. And if you do not possess it, you cannot give it away. See, I think we don't show mercy because we truly don't know what it means and what it's like to have truly received mercy by God. Which is one of the things that whenever you look at those first four Beatitudes, it sets us up to receive that great mercy. Now, the ultimate example of mercy and being merciful is that of Jesus Christ. Because he was full of mercy and he saw our state of being dead in our sin, he suffered for us. He took on our suffering. Friends, sin makes us suffer. I don't know if you've lived long uh, to experience that, but sin is awful. And Jesus saw the suffering that we have. And even though we continually break God's law over and over and over and over and over again, he moved to action. Jesus, full of mercy, moved to action, saw us in our state and had pity on us. So much so to give his life for you and for me that we could have life. He satisfies justice and truth and shows us forgiveness and mercy even though we don't deserve it. Jesus, the true human, the true divine, all together showing us what it means to live this life that God has created us for. Now, Dr. Gray in The Good Life, he talks about the way that we view mercy a lot of times as transactional. Friends, that's the way of the world. Uh, we see it as, you do this for me, I do this for you. I do this for you, you better do it for me, right? Uh, but yet, that's not the way that Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to a way of a transformation of love. One that's not transactional, but one that sees Christ as the center of everything that we do. And what that means is that we don't view acts of mercy as transactional, but we see that in our transformed view because of the Holy Spirit, that we give mercy because we've already been given mercy. Y'all has nothing to do with the other person besides the fact that we are giving them something that wasn't ours to possess anyway. God has given us mercy that we should give it out. And I think about the cancel culture that it just, pre just prevails in our society, in our cultural moment. You know, you don't think like me, therefore I'm going to write you off. You don't agree with me, therefore I want nothing to do with you at all. Friends, that's not the way of the kingdom of God. And we can't live like that. That's not the way we're supposed to be. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't decide to cancel us because we don't think like him, act like him, do what he tells us to do. Can you imagine the state that we would be in if that was true? 
But we've got to be patient, just like he was. We have to be merciful, just as he has been, looking on others with pity that moves us to do something about the situation than just to make it all the more tense. In our cultural moment, it's so important to remember that those who've not yet, yet experienced mercy in their life, that divine mercy, the mercy of Jesus Christ, those who haven't yet received it don't understand. They can't see the world as we do as Christians with our biblical worldview, with our view that God has of this world. And so instead of us getting angry and mad and writing people off and canceling them, instead, what we should do is take the time, be the people who are patient, be the people who enter into a relationship with them, be the people who desire conversation rather than argument in order to bring them to a place that maybe for the very first time in their lives, they experience the mercy of God through us. It blows my mind that God uses us to be instruments of his grace and his mercy in this world. And yet he does. I want to be found faithful at the end of the day that I've done exactly what he's called me to do. And if he says, blessed are you who are merciful, then I want to be merciful too. Let's be people who do that, who enter into that. Let's share grace and truth held together as Jesus has done as we enter into this world, as we have relationships, as we help those who don't understand, who don't see the way that we see, as we help bring them into this kingdom way of life under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to miss this, is that there's always a cost that's involved with showing mercy. There's always a cost. When an action is done on behalf of someone else, it means that it's going to take away from us. It's just, it's just the truth of it. Think back in, in Matthew 18, where Jesus is telling this story of the king. It was going to cost the king quite a sum of money to forgive this debt uh, of that servant. And it's the same way for us. When God has called us to show mercy on another person, it's going to cost us something. But it's okay. It's okay. When Jesus went to the cross, it cost him something. It cost him his life so that he could have mercy on each of us. Paul tells us this in Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of, our, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of what? His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Jesus says we are blessed when we are merciful because we will be shown mercy. I think a more complete way of, of saying that and thinking that is that as we understand it, is that because we are people of, of great mercy, because we've received great mercy, we can be people of great mercy. We've been shown great mercy in every single time. It's worth whatever the cost is. It's worth it. Why? Because of God. 
because of this hope of eternal life, because we've received God's grace, not by our own doing, but by his, because he brings life where there is death. Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of God, we're merciful because we've been, we have received great mercy. Now, I know that we usually end sermons with a question and a challenge. And I'm going to do the same. Who is it in your life that needs to receive mercy? Who is it? Maybe it's not a situation that you're walking in right now, but maybe it's one that's going to pop up this week because life has a way of doing that. It's what happens when sinners do life together. Who in your life needs mercy today? How could acting in mercy tell this story of God's great mercy on your own life to show them, to draw them in so that they can receive mercy and know the mercy that's available to them in Jesus? See, every day, kind of like the bishop in Les Mis, we hold someone's life in our hands. And maybe not quite to that extent. But the truth is, is that a lot of times we, we hold emotional, physical, relational, spiritual well-being of people in our hands because they've come to us and they need to receive mercy. They're asking for forgiveness. They've done a wrong. They don't understand. So how do we respond? Do we respond in, in hanging on to it, holding it over their head, saying, I've got you now? Or, or, do we acknowledge that this mercy that we have received is greater than what we should just hang on to for ourselves? Do we understand the, the great lengths that Jesus went to to transform our hearts, to bring us forgiveness of our sin, the great cost that it took him to die, not just for us, but for the whole world? we understand that this grace and this mercy that we have received, we too, counterculturally, against all odds, are to share it and give it away to those who need it as well.